Okay, ready to go. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us tonight. Um, today's special to Bishvat. Happy to Bishvat. We are we are uh, coming out of this awesome day. The energy of the day is still lingering in the air. Tonight's class has been sponsored by an anonymous. I want to bless the anonymous with all the blessings, okay. uh, all the blessings and all the good uh, that are showering from this class and from all the all the um, qualities that we're going to be talking about today, all the divine blessings of the fruits that we're going to be including in the class should come upon them and bring them all the blessings they need in their lives. A very big thank you to Anonymous, and they particularly want that this class should lead to the coming of Mashiach. So may that happen now. Um, as just to note to everyone, uh, these classes are always available for a dedication. If you have a yardside birthday, um, anything nice that you want to commemorate, celebrate, honor it towards someone special in your life, please bear that in mind. Also, um, these classes have been mainly online for uh, the last two, three years, uh, two years since COVID really, and we are really, really happy to have people back in here. And I hope it only grows, bring your friends, invite people, and uh, let's, because uh, the energy of the class is very much dependent on the physical presence of people over here, or else it's ideas, but there isn't really anything to bounce it off and make it like strong. So I really count on the enemy, on the energy of everyone's participation as you're here. Okay, the order of the class due to remind people since people are coming back is that uh, for the flow of the class and also for this a big large um, audience online, it makes it very difficult if there is an interruption. So I ask that if you have a question, that you write it down or rememorize it and ask only at the end of the class. Thank you. Okay, all that being the introduction, we're ready to go. Today is, as mentioned earlier, a very special day on the Hebrew calendar. It is the 15th day of Shabbat. And as being that, uh, we know it's called Rosh Hashanah. The sages tell us there are four Rosh Hashanahs, and this is one of the Rosh Hashanahs. Rosh Hashanah means the beginning of the year. It also means we're the energy of the year. It's the head of the year, which means it has a very, very powerful, potent power to it. But this Rosh Hashanah particularly is Rosh Hashanah for trees. So it is a custom that we eat fruit from trees. If you walked outside, today in Los Angeles was a gorgeous day. And uh, you got to walk around and and walk next to trees. I hope you said happy birthday trees. If you didn't do it yet, you can still say it today. Happy birthday trees. Now, we know that the trees are not just, there is the tree, and but there is also the human being is compared to a tree. The verse says, now we have humans have their own Rosh Hashanah. That's the first day of Tishrei. That's when we commemorate Rosh Hashanah. We dip the apple and honey. We go hear the shofar and the like. That was a couple of months ago. The the uh, Rosh Hashanah for trees is the fifteenth day. It comes out smack in the middle of the winter. Um, uh, the Rosh Hashanah for trees, but since humans are compared to trees, as the verse says, Ki Adam that man is. But even though the man is a tree, even though the verse is asking it in a question, the verse is saying, Ki Adam is a man a tree. But since the Torah, since everything in the Torah could be read with different sing songs. So you can read it as a question, or you can just read it as a statement. The man is a tree. We are a tree. And uh, so that in that sense, the, to the tree inside of us, it is Rosh Hashanah. In that sense, we can say to everybody over here, happy birthday to your tree. Now, particularly, 
Um, there are trees, which trees are beautiful. They give us shade and they give, actually produce oxygen. But then there are fruit trees. Within the fruit trees, there are the special fruits that the land of Israel that the, is blessed with. Eretz Yisrael is blessed with particular trees. Primarily, there are five fruit trees in which Israel is blessed with. And they are the, the, the grape. In today's days in Israel, it's unbelievable as you see the wine production. There are so many wineries in Israel, it's unbelievable. And the amount of wine that is being produced every day, new bottles used to be that we had Menashevitz and then a little uh, Herzog Kedem, and that was about it. Now you'll have such a variety of wines because Israel is exploding with wines, with various different wineries. So Israel is blessed with wines. It is also blessed with um, uh, uh, figs, which is called the Te'ena, that's Geffen, and there is the Te'ena, the figs, and then we have the Rimon, which are the pomegranates, and olives and dates. These are the five trees that Israel has been blessed with. However, in a more broader sense, we talk about vegetation in general. Israel is blessed with seven types of, of fruits or seven types of, of food um, plants, which include the five variations of trees and two variations of grain. Chita usa'ira, which are wheat and barley. Together we have seven. This is all derived from a verse in Parshas Akev in Deuteronomy. It's not this week's parsha, but it's in, in Deuteronomy and in the third parsha in Ek in in Devarim in, 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 in like this. This is in Pasukhes, um Parikhes Pasukhes, which means chapter eight, verse eight. Which is interesting. Eight is a very powerful number, which represents transcendence and miracles and the like. And regarding the land of Israel, it says, It is a land of wheat, it is a land of barley, the geffen, and so again, wheat, barley, geffen, um, vine, te'ena, figs, rimoin, uh, which is pomegranates, eret zayis shemen, a land of olive oil, olives that produce oil, udavash, and honey. Now, honey is not referring to bee honey. Honey, honey is referring to honey that comes from palms, from, from dates. So these are the seven meaning that Eretz Yisrael is blessed. The land of Israel is blessed. Now, uh, if we will associate the trees with the Jewish people, so it will be the Jewish people associated with these seven particular types. And that's what we want to talk about in the class today. How can we find these spiritual qualities within ourselves? We will analyze each of these fruits. And we will look into ourselves to be able to activate these fruits within us because we are here to produce fruits. In general, um, the Jewish people are compared to a land, a very fertile land. There's a verse, there's a pasuk in the end of Malachi. This is one of the last prophets that there is in the Torah, is Malachi. He's the last prophet. And all the way in the end of Sefer Treyasin, in Malachi, there is a pasuk, a verse. And in the verse it says, that God refers to the Israel as a fruit tree. The Ishru, I'm sorry, as a land. It's a Pasuk in Malachi Peregimel, Pasuk Yud Beis, chapter 3, verse 12. The Ishru Eschem Koladoyim, isn't that beautiful? It says, All the nations will praise you. It's talking about Mashiach times. In the days of the Giyola, the days of the redemption, all the nations will certify you. All the nations will legitimize the Jewish people and they will actually praise Israel. Why? 
because you will be a desirable land. So God is comparing Israel, which are the people, to a land, a land of desire. A desirable land means a land that's very fertile, that everything grows. California, we know, is a very fertile land. Things grow over here, the delicious fruits that grow in California, right? So here it says that Israel, the Jewish people, you will be a land of desire. What does that mean? That the that our souls, that we as 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 Israel, the people themselves, are a are a desirable land. So in that sense, we're compared to a land. Fruit. Um, so what are the fruits? And we say the fruits that are coming from us are the fruits of the, the seven the seven fruits. But we're going to get to that in a moment. Um, this idea that we are um, called an Eretz Chayfet, a land of desire. So first, let's analyze what is the quality of being a land. Why does God refer to us as a land, a desirable land? What is the quality of land? So the word, let's get into the etymology, because in order to understand all these different types of features that we have, these incredible qualities of our soul, it always helps to know the root of the word in Hebrew, and then we know what the core essential quality, because what we need to do with all these fruits is we need to undress them from their physical appearance. You have a pomegranate over here. Now, if I'm gonna tell you that we have pomegranates inside of us, I don't want you to do go take an x-ray tomorrow and try to find a pomegranate. You ain't gonna find a pomegranate. You Obviously, we have to undress the fruit from its physical property and get to its essence and understand what makes the pomegranate unique. And then you'll figure out what that pomegranate means inside of your soul, okay? So when it comes to land, what is the essence of earth, of land? So the sages say, why is the earth called earth? Lama nikrish because it desired or it ran, to do God's will. The earth displayed, when God created the world, the earth displayed a desire and not just a regular desire, but a very passionate desire to fulfill God's will. And that's why the earth is racing to do Hashem's will. It was racing, it ran to do God's will. That is the core nature of every single Jewish man and Jewish woman. We all innately want to do God's will. When you meet a when you meet when you meet another Jew, a man or a woman, you ought to know that. Whether you can see it on the outside, whether you can't see it on the outside, if you dig deep enough, you will discover within that person, man or woman, child, boy or girl, you will discover within them a desire to serve their creator, to do something, to connect to God. Every single Jew. Ramam says, Ramam says it about it, that that's the, the nature, the core nature. The Ramam says that if you have a Jew who doesn't want to listen to the will of Hashem, and in a certain circumstances, the person is compelled and forced. Uh, there are certain cases where halacha justifies that a person, that force could be could be implied to a Let's say a man is stubborn. A man, if you're able to just put the ringer off, it would be great. Uh, okay. If a man, on the top. If a man, it, you know, someone over there, someone's just, there's a ringer over there. Yeah. It's good. There is a certain button on the top where you can we can you we can silent the ringer yeah okay thank you it's good it's just in any case the 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 um the ramam says so for example uh there's sometimes a man has to give a, a if a person doesn't want to give a divorce he's being abusive husband he's not good to his wife and according to the torah uh this person the the the, the court decided that this person ought to give a divorce so according to the torah they sometimes could force this individual even by physical force, to compel him to give the divorce to his wife. 
even though one of the conditions of giving a get, one of the conditions of giving a divorce is it has to be to a person's will. A person cannot be coerced in giving a divorce. So how do would the base then coerce someone? So Maimonides says an amazing thing. Maimonides says that since it is the core desire of every Jew to fulfill God's will, if we find a Jew who's claiming that he doesn't want to do God's will, it's not his true self. It is it's his evil inclination that's overpowering him and blocking his true self. And therefore, when you're compelling him or applying physical force, you're just removing an obstacle and uncovering the true innate desire. So that is consistent with what we're saying right now. God says, you are my desirable land, which means you have, I know, deep inside of you, you have a desire to serve me, to connect to me. So the essence of where all our fruits will grow, all of our beautiful spiritual fruit, which will come out in our life, is all emanating from this essential core desire. And the word chayfetz means not just desire, but a desire that has pleasure in it, which means that it is the greatest pleasure for, a, a, for any single Jew which has possesses a divine soul to fulfill God's will. So it's not just a desire, but it is a pleasurable desire. And every and we have to realize that in ourselves. We have that. And from that core desire comes all the fruit and all the vegetation. Another thing we have to realize is that when we are called Eretz, we are called a land, that has to do a lot with the fact that our souls are not in heaven. When our souls are in heaven, it's not really called Eretz. Our souls are called part of Shamayim, they're part of heaven. Eretz means earth. So when we say that it is at the core of each and every one of us to serve God, we're not talking about pure spiritual souls. We're talking about a soul born in a body, notwithstanding the fact that we have a body. Even though we have a body, our true, which is physical and sometimes gets distracted and sometimes gets caught up with all kinds of other stuff, sometimes claims that it's secular and uninvolved and not spiritual and very materialistic and so on and so forth. All of that is just a facade. That's not the truth. The real truth of every single one of us is that we're in Eretz. So not only are we also called an Eretz, we're also called a land when we are in, a, when we are in our physical bodies. But even deeper than that, um, we are precisely called a land, earth, a fertile land, which can produce such production, such, such amazing. The earth has infinite potential to give forth such produce. We are precisely called Eretz only when our soul is in our body, which means our souls are far less far less effective when they're in heaven. They're lacking the potency. Notwithstanding that a soul is a, is a spark of God, yet in heaven, the soul doesn't have any of that energy to produce like when the soul is in a body. So it's our physical existence that we have to cherish. Sometimes we feel, okay, you know, I'm sure I'll do well after 120. My soul will do well. I need to do some purifications and so on. We'll get through that. After that, my soul will be in heaven and I'll live happily ever after in some spiritual place. We have to realize that the true power that each and every one of us have to unleash infinite goodness and infinite potential and move the cosmos to its ultimate state in that way, realizing the purpose of all of existence and bringing infinite pleasure to our creator is only when we're in a body. And that's the idea of our Eretz, of our earth existence. And in that sense, we can kind of see it like this. The soul is the seed. In order for something to grow, you need seed and you need soil. The soil is your body. The body and our lower spirit called the animal soul, which we'll talk about a little bit at, at greater length soon. 
our soul and our animalistic self, which is not our holy self, uh, that part is considered the earth. Into that, God plants a neshama. He plants the soul. And the soul is the seed. Now, if you have a seed laying, you can put a seed in a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful um, um, vase. You can put a seed in, a, in, in, the most, in the finest crystal, gorgeous crystal thing, and you have it sitting there. You can come back in 10, 15 years, it'll be exactly what it is. Nothing will change. It's not growing. You have to take the seed and put it in the earth. And when it goes into the earth, it will decay. It will rot. Someone who never saw the process of a seed growing will think you're destroying something. You're taking it. You're putting it in the ground. You're ruining it. Look what's going to happen. And actually rots. And only after it rots and it decays, it releases and merges with the earth. And then magic. Unbelievable. The earth, the seed is able to unearth from the earth the infinite potential, and then from that one seed grows out a tree, which is so much greater than what the seed was. It's a seed with, it's a tree with branches and leaves and fruits, and all that fruit can then replicate itself with seeds, and you can create an entire, an entire orchard from one seed, but only when you put it in the earth. So in that sense, the real potency and power in each and every one of us lies when God takes our soul and puts it in a body. And even though we are spiritually compromised, even though we are literally, God wipes out all of our spiritual energies when we come into a body, we are incomparably less spiritual when we're in a body. And in many ways, it's like a, 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 a terrible, terrible fall for our spiritual stature. But yet, the gain is that only through the physical life on earth where we can do a mitzvah is where we can unleash the ultimate potential. And now let's take it one step further. The next stage is it's not enough that God put our souls into a body, which is compared to a planting. There is another stage of that planting. Jews once upon a time lived in the land of Israel. So then we were physical people, but we were living in a holy land. We had a holy temple and we were had God openly in our midst. And therefore, people lived very, 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 very holy spiritual lives. Way back then, two and a half thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, and after when the time of King David and the time when the time or King Solomon, Shlomo Melech, it was a magnificent life. God took those, all those Jews that were in the land of Israel and he scattered them across the world and we are in exile. This is the long exile that we have not yet completely come out of. We're waiting for Mashiach to come. And uh, this too is called the planting. The Navi compares the scattering of the Jewish people across the entire world into all the four corners of the world. The Navi compares that and calls that a planting. That Hashem plants, I have planted them for me in the land. And the Alter Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe explains. And he said that just when God wants, just like when a person wants to increase his produce, you have produce, you have food to eat, but you want to turn your food, your private supply into a supply that can feed an army. So what will you do? You're not going to eat those seeds. You will take those kernels and you're going to plant them in the ground. And then you'll come back uh, a couple of months later or in trees, maybe whatever, whatever long it takes to grow. And you'll be able to feed so much more you'll have. So it, it will increase exponentially. So when God wants to increase godliness and holiness in the world, he takes Israel and, he, and, and then here's the interesting thing. 
earlier we said the soul is the is the seed and the body is the land is the earth and god plants the soul in the body in order to unleash the potential now comes another planting god takes the soul in the body both together and both of them now are the seed and god takes us as physical humans and scatters us around the entire world in that sense the gentile nations and all the countries africa asia united states all the continents they are the soil they're the land in which israel has been planted hashem has sown us all over the world and what's the outcome the outcome is going to be that any day once mashiach is revealed godly light will be revealed everywhere across the world so much so that the sages say that israel will expand to cover the entire world all world will be israel what does that mean it will be israel in all of the world it will be clearly felt and sensed the presence of god in a very tangible way at when we are done that's the that's what grows out from all of our service based on that let's take a look at a moment at the verse again and then before we're going to and we're going to start exploring each one of these vegetables each one of these fruits so the verse says like this eretz a land of wheat of barley geffen of of uh, vine of, of of grapes or vine uteena and figs verimoin and pomegranate and then it says again eretz zayas shemen utvash a land of olives and a land, a land of, of honey the reason it mentions two times eretz in this verse is indicating these two plantings god puts us two times in the earth it's not just one time the first planting is hashem planting the neshama in our body that's planting number one and then we become replanted again and that's the exile where god takes the jews out of israel and plants us across the world and that's a second planting and that is hinted to in the second eretz now regarding the fruit that is produced we will also differentiate and we have to make over here two distinctions distinction number one is we have to distinction distinguish between the plants that are not fruits which are the wheat and the barley they're grains and the other five are fruit that's distinction number one distinction number two that we need to make is that the first two fruits uh, on distinction number one and distinction number two that we have to make is all the species that are mentioned after the first eretz is a certain type of of benefit it's a certain type of uh quality that we can possess and we can activate and we have to put work into it but it's not that much work in other words it takes toil to 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 get your wheat to get your barley to get your wine to get your figs and to get your pomegranates takes work, but it's 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 attainable to most people. The real, real, real precious fruits, the ultimate fruits, are the fruits that you have to plant it two times to get to them. The double planting, the two fruits that are mentioned after the second time it says Eretz. And what are they? The olives and the dates. Shemen or the shemen. That's the second level of fruit. So we're gonna try to figure out now what first of all is what's the concept of the first two fruits the the, the the grains the grains versus the fruits and then within the fruits the fruits that are mentioned before the second time eretz and the fruits that are mentioned after the second time eretz okay so you'll bear with me we're going to figure all of that out 
Now, before we continue, just one more. So that's, first of all, there's an important idea to understand in our human life, what's the difference between grain and fruit? Grains are essential to human life. This is the staple of our diet is, I mean, today's days, a lot of people are on diets in which they try to cut out carbohydrates, but carbohydrates is mainly, it's always been the main filling food across the world. Most people are eat, use as the main food that fills them up and nourishes them basics, whether it's, whether it's grain or rice or that kind of thing, but it's always in that, 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 that element of the carbs, which are associated with the grains. So grains are the basic of human living. Fruits are not a necessity for life. Fruits make life enjoyable, you know? It's so special and there's so much pleasure to drink a glass of wine. You can live without a wine, you can drink with, you can live without that, but what an enhancement. What an enhancement to bite into a very, very juicy plum or to have good strawberries or eat berries. These are all enhancements and because they are enhancements, they are all enrichments to life. In other words, basic, they're not basics, but how much more pleasurable and enjoyable does life become when we have access to the fruits? So when we're gonna analyze the spiritual elements of all these fruits inside of us, we will bear, and in our mind, this different, that the, this difference, that the, that the wheat and the barley are our basics for survival. Um, that the, the wheat, Thank you. That the wheat and the barley, think, uh, the wheat and the barley are essential for human living. And the, okay. it's okay. It's just that I, I, I get very distracted by little noises. Thank you. So wheat and barley are very, very essential for human life for our basic spiritual uh, development. The other things are enhancements. It's almost like, you know, on features, if you have a, you know, you download a certain program. So most people, when it comes to computers, get to use the basic elements of every program. But then you always have, you can open up settings and you can open up what's called enhanced features. And sometimes you have to pay extra money to be able to use the enhanced features. You have to give, there is basic and then there is prime or, 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 or a higher level, or it's just that people don't know about it. You open up and you can adjust these various different elements. So in our service of God, the wheat and the barley is basic. Everybody, if you're gonna, if we're gonna live a meaningful life, a life as a Jew in this world and have and produce fruit, which means be productive in our lives as a human being, as a, as a Jewish man or a woman in this world that has to produce something in this, in this amazing botanical garden that we have the potential to be, the wheat and the barley is basic. The other things are in heaven. I do want to say before I continue the class, much of what I am talking about today is, was discussed in a class on Tu B'Shvat years ago. You can look at it online called The Human Tree. It was also a similar class. However, there is a lot of news today, even though if you will compare, I don't think everybody remembered even there was such a class, but if you come across that class and you can see that as a, a, a sister class to this class, um, but there are differences in certain ways that I will explain the fruits. Um, there are primary differences between them. So it's actually one is complementing the other. Okay, so now we get into them. What is the wheat? What is the barley? And what are these other fruits that we have? And how can we make the most of it, of this incredible potential that God has given us? So we start with the wheat. 
Wheat is a food which is meant primarily to nurture humans. God provided various different types of food in the world to nurture all of his creatures, to, to give nurture, to give, to give uh, sustenance, nutrition to all creatures. But we know there's obviously all these and, and, and all the vegetation that grow. Cows eat grass, you know, and, 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 and different animals eat straw and hay. Uh, horses eat hay and, 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 and the like. So the various different grains, what's primarily designated for human consumption is wheat. You don't you waste you don't waste wheat on animals. Maybe not even good for their stomachs. Um, wheat is for humans. Barley is even though humans can have barley. We make bear out of barley. And today I had a good my wife in honor of uh, of We said we we made we made we had a little party in the house and we had all the seven uh, She didn't want me to drink bear. No. Uh, so she made she made a barley soup. So in Chalantan Shabbos, who makes a Chalant without barley? So barley is very, very important, and we eat barley. But, prim but primarily, barley is referred to by the sages as Michael Behema. It's the food for the animal. Now, what that really means, spiritually, is that we have to detect within ourselves our basic makeup as a person is a combination of human and animal. The human inside of us is our divine soul. We all have a divine soul, not just a spiritual soul, but a divine being. It's a literally a piece of God from above. That divine being needs food. It needs to be, and that divine being is called the human inside of us. Why? Because the word Adam, which means human, comes from the word Adame, I will compare. So the human inside of us is what compare, in which we are compared to God. Adame Elyon, I will be compared to God. And our similar to God is in our neshama, our soul. So that's our higher consciousness, that's our soul. And its food, which is the wheat, is what? Let's take it the word Hebrew word chita. So the Kabbalists tell us, the mystics tell us that the Hebrew word for wheat is chita. And chita is the numeric value is 22. Ches, tes, and aleph is 22, which refer to the 22 letters of the Torah. So it's the 22 letters of the Torah that serve as nourishment to our divine soul. So developing the wheat inside of us means revealing our soul, our higher self. Uncovered, first of all, the very, very recognition, the understanding that we have a neshama, we have a soul. And this is so important that the first things as a Jew, we acknowledge and we notice and we recognize and we talk about when we wake up in the morning, is we first thing, before we talk about all of our amazing blessings that we have, I can see, we say a special blessings for eyesight. I can see, God gave me clothing, he clothes the naked, Hashem enables me, Hashem gave me shoes. We thank God, he gave me all my needs, which are referring to shoes. We, we, we praise God for unlocking our limbs, that when we're sleeping, that kind of everything is a lockdown. And we wake up, we can stretch our limbs, we can move around, but the first, Thank you, we give to God, and it really is an acknowledgement, is to recognize I have a soul. And that's why we say, Moda'ani, I acknowledge to you, God, and I thank you, Hashem. You gave me back my soul. So the first thing we need to know, the first awareness we need to have is I have a soul. I have a piece of God inside of me. And I have to take care of myself to recognize the spiritual element inside of me. Now, another element is that the soul 
primarily resides in the mind. The first seat of consciousness, the main uh, dwelling place for the neshama is in the head, is in the mochin. It's called mochin, which is the brain, which is the mind. We're soon going to see, contrast that to the animal consciousness, the animalistic self that we have, which is a lower, darker spirit, which our soul is enclosed in, that primarily resides in the heart. It is primarily an emotional being. The, it's an excitable being, an emotional being. Its root, its core energy, its nucleus of its energy is emotion. It gets excited all the time. Our godly soul is a more reflective entity. It's an intelligent being, a soul. It primarily resides in the mind. Wheat is food for the brain. Sages tell us that uh, the reason we eat matzah on Pesach by night is because God wanted to bring, educate the Jewish people. And the sages say a child does not know how to, how to call out father while they're nursing. The child does when the nursing does not give the intelligence to the child to know how to call father. When the child begins to eat grain, primarily wheat, when you start giving the child the wheat, the wheat, the grains, that creates the, that creates the development of the mind that the child can start recognizing, this is my dad, this is my mom, so on and so, which is a certain intellectual recognition. Spiritually, that means that the wheat is food for the brain. Like we said earlier, Torah is the, is the wheat. It develops our mind. So the first thing that's important is we have to create a holy intelligence, a holy mind. You can't move ahead in your life as a Jew without having somewhat of a knowledge. That's why education is so important in Judaism, to educate, that there should be knowledge, there should be an understanding, basic ideas of Torah, basic ideas of what it means to be a Jew. But we go a little deeper, it also means that um, we, in the Torah itself, there are certain subjects that are loftier subjects, subjects that refer, refer more to the spiritual truths of the higher, in a Hasidic teaching, for instance, there's a lot of mystical, we study over here Thursday night classes, we delve hours and hours into very, very high lofty spiritual ideas. Sometimes it's beyond application to, pure, to, to the rectification of a human being. It's more just like incredible, rich knowledge that only our higher selves can tap. Only our more mystical, abstract selves is able to relate to. Sometimes people say, come on, it's not down to earth. Be practical, bring it all down. And sometimes we say, no, it's not that important. Why? You need to allow your soul to digest. This is food for your neshama. Your body might not understand it, but on a deep level, your soul is chewing on this, is receiving all this incredible spiritual light. This is the concept of chita. And it's all the service of God that we do in which we, by what? By revealing our neshama, our soul. That's part of our production. That's part of what we live with. It's part of what God expects of us to develop our wheat, which is our our, in general, it means in, in, Hasiduk, in Hasidic terminology or in Hebrew, it's called nefesh elokit, our godly soul. Then we move into the next level, which is the barley. The barley is food for the animal, which means as follows, that we also have to feed the animal. So much so that the sages even say, a person is forbidden to eat until they first feed their animals. It's a total law. A person has animals, you may not eat your own breakfast, until you go outside and give food for your animals. That has a spiritual application as well. And that is, we may not neglect our, our more earthy, physical side. 
What we can notice, as soon as we're moving through life, we can notice that there are two beings living inside of us. There's almost two selves. You ever wonder why sometimes you can go through a period of time where you're feeling so spiritual, so refined, so elevated, and your desires are to just learn Torah and come to classes and to like swim in spiritual life. Sometimes we feel that way on the high holidays, on Shabbat and other things like that. And then like just like uh, an hour later, a day later, a month later, a week later, a year later, you can find yourself going through a period of time where you don't recognize it. It's almost like it's a different person. You don't want to, who am I? Like you're fine. On the one hand, there's a very, very spiritual, bright self. On the other hand, it's a very, very, very dark. What, what's the animal? So what's an animal? The nature of an animal, then an animal is obsessed with self-preservation. Animal just wants to care, to preserve itself, to protect itself and to feel good. So we have a side in us that wants to just, doesn't think about a bigger universal plan, a higher purpose to existence. All I want is to, to live my life and to make the most of my life, to give myself, enhance my, my pleasures, my delights, and so on. So self-pursuits, things that are just self, um, is, is just an enhancement of one's personal, without looking past the, the, the instant gratification, making money so that I can have all the pleasures and wants that I have. That animal side must be refined. We must bridge the gap between these two souls. This is what this uh, this is the concept that we learn. Uh, is, uh, the whole book of Tanya is developed on this concept of how we interact with the two souls that are within us. But one cannot kind of neglect the animal self and wait to experience spiritual moments in which your neshama kind of emerges with its full glory, and I experience a very spiritual high. And, I, and, and that's good enough. I suffice with that. The fact that when that dissipates and I go back to my regular self, my regular self is very unrefined, very, 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 very coarse. It's it, it, it stuck in all kinds of not good things, not good habits, not good desires. That's not okay. God didn't create our neshama that our soul should just abandon our body and our animal self. God created our soul to engage in our animal self and our animal lives, to refine it, to rectify it, and to elevate it. And that's the idea that God wants us to produce barley. It's similar to what we have on, on, on uh, there's a whole period of the year which is dedicated to this particular process of self-refining. When we work on, you have, we, one should introspect, look inside themselves, to find which aspect of my of my character is lacking refinement. Where am I? Where am I? Where am I selfish? Where am I extremely uh, uh, um, like clogged? And in that particular area, it takes work. It's exercises. You got to take on. And and generally, it means it comes through a lot of what we call self discipline. It's that when they, when that animal side of me of us start kicking in, we have to you know be able to control it. You don't give your animal whatever it wants. You don't give our animal so whatever it wants. We first subdue it. We weaken it. And eventually, we can actually take it a step further and start refining and getting our animal consciousness to actually join, to become sublimated and enhanced and join with our spirit, with our neshama, with our soul. The period of time that I was talking about that we work on that is a particular time of the year that's associated with barley. It's a seven-week period between Passover and Shavuot in which we count the Omer, and the Omer, what was it? It was a sacrifice that was born in the temple, which was a measure of barley in which we are working with our barley side. 
So the wheat and the barley represents two service, two elements of service. One of them is the actualizing all your good potential that you have, actualizing it, revealing it, making the most of it, intensifying it. The rectification of the animal soul, the barley inside of us is to look for those areas where we can get better, where we need to, where we're not refined yet, where we're not that, that, that godly yet. And in those areas, we got to work bit by bit. It's a slow and tedious work of a lifetime. But that's really where the hard work and the heavy lifting is in the barley. But these are two services and both, both and we can say it just simply and, they, and, and even without the spiritual terms, is when you have children as a parent, you want to immediately look at your child and find the good traits that your child has. And you want to highlight those good traits and develop them, but you also don't want to neglect those areas, and you see in your character, your child's behavior, where you see that they have certain characteristics that are negative and they're not good, and they need tending as well. Certain things you need to cut off completely, you need to prune it. Certain things you just need to redirect. Certain things you need to ex to exercise in order to bring a certain refinement to them. So these are these two modes. It's almost like the concept of a seito doing good, surmeira going turning from evil. These are the two powers of the wheat and the barley. Now, it's interesting, even though the barley is the main objective in life, is to do the work in the barley department, to fix our animal soul, yet in the Torah, we start with which? What's the first fruit that is mentioned? The wheat. And that is because it's not a good idea to start your day off immediately looking at the mirror and finding the pimple on your face. That's not weird. You're not going to have a good day. You're much better off looking at the mirror and finding how beautiful your hair looks, how wonderful, how, how you know, look at the pretty side of yourself. Find what is nice, what is good, and think about that, work with that, and make it more beautiful. And also recognize, I have that pimple, I need to deal with it. So you don't neglect it. I need to take, maybe I need to go to the pharmacy, maybe I need to get, maybe I need to get myself a facial, maybe I need to do whatever it is then I'm going to deal with that, a medication, an acne, whatever type of a thing. Something needs to be dealt with. But if you start off with that ugliness that you're going to deal, then you're going to become very demoralized. So it's not good even just from a, a, a psychological aspect. And Torah also wants that. Torah, in the morning, what do we start? We're not yet rectifying the dark elements in us. The first thing in the morning, start with your neshama. I have a beautiful soul. That's what you do in the morning. The spiritual mirror that you have, literally, this is spiritual mirror. When you wake up in the morning, you say, God, the soul you put into me. She's pure. You created it. You formed it. You blew it into me. We're sitting and praising the beautiful soul that God has given us. Then later, you got to have a whole rest of davening. And we're going to do a shamdu, but God no goes on. You're going to look at all the dark things in your life that need rectification and purification. But if we start off with the darkness, it doesn't work. That's why the verse says chita first, and then secondary after the chitim, it mentions the barley, which is the sa'ira, which is our next, it's the purification on the animal side. Now, these are basics. In our service of Hashem, we must produce chitim, we must produce our service of the good inside of us, the godly inside of us must be actualized. We also need the refinement of our animal soul. Both elements will, and only together, 
working at these two ends, do we fulfill and bring forth the produce that God expects of us from our beautiful Eretz Yisrael that we have inside of us that is blessed with chita and so on. Now we go a step further. The next one is Geffen. What's the Geffen? Geffen is wine. And what does that mean? What is the essence of wine in our sir? What's the vine that gives us the wine? What is its, what is its quality? The quality of wine is that wine brings simcha. Wine brings joy. Why? There's a verse that says, Hamesameach Elokim Echdalti Echdalti Amitiroishai Hamesameach Elokim Ranashim. It's a verse in Judges where where the where each of the fruit tree gets up and speaks, and the wine, the vine, gives its little its little speech, and it says, Echdalti, I will stop. I think Mitiroisha, I will stop my wines. My, my vines from producing uh, grapes, which brings joy Elokim, to the divine and to people. The quality of wine, we also know, for example, on holidays, on Yom Tov, on holidays, we are have a mitzvah to be besimcha, to be joyous. And according to halacha, that mitzvah of simchas Yom Tov, one cannot fulfill without meat and wine. Wine brings joy. And that's why wine is also associated with song. We don't sing, we don't say song in the holy temple. We don't sing the song in the temple. The Levites would sing in the base of Migdash. Only where there's wine. We also know that every happy occasion that we are celebrating, we celebrate with wine. Everybody under a chuppah, the happiest occasion in our lives. Um, when we get married, we make the blessings, and the rabbi who's making this is making, who's being Masada Kedushin, organizing, facilitating the wedding, is making the blessing on a cup of wine. Passover by night, when we're celebrating the happiest time of the year, the joyous of our liberation, four cups of wine every Friday night. We're bringing in Shabbos, which is a time of joy. Yom Tev, a time of joy. A bris milah, uh, which is again a joyous occasion when we're bringing a child into the covenant of God. We're always using wine. Wine has the quality of joy. Why is joy so important in our service of God? The, the reason we need joy in our, in, our, in our lives, the main purpose is that joy increases the energy. You can live your life and be very focused. Your godly soul, study Torah, you develop, you, 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 you uh, create a, a, a holy intelligence. You also work very hard. You apply a lot of what we might say, Musr, to, to, to really in discipline, self-discipline and work on yourself. But you're going to be doing all of that on a very, very superficial level if your energy level is very, very down. So you're going to do it, but there's no. In order to really do the work and do it the way you're supposed to do it, for that, you need to ratchet up the value of your energy. And always when your spiritual energy, which means your excitement in being a Jew and having an opportunity to serve your creator, is, on the, uh, is, is, is strong. When you are pumping with energy, then we understand that the amount of vitality in all that you're going to do, that's why the Alter Rebbe says in Tanya, after he describes the two souls and after he describes the battle, the Alter Rebbe tells us in Tanya that you are doomed to lose in your battle against your animal soul. It will mop the floor with you unless you're happy. If you're depressed and if you're sad, you will definitely fall in your service of God. You must increase in joy. That's why in the Hasidic culture, 
Joy is like the basics. And Chazal the sages tell us, the verse says, Ivdu es Hashem besimcha, serve God with joy. So the wine inside of us is the joy. Why? What does joy do? Joy opens you up. Without joy, a person is clamped shut. The joy causes expansion. It opens, it provides. Why? It comes from the wine. Wine is fruit. Here's a little grape. Wine is inside, is the juice that's inside the grape. It's hidden in the grape. In order to get the, the real, see, even though grapes are wonderful to eat, their real fruit is the wine that's inside of it. But in order to get the wine, you have to squeeze the grape and the wine comes out. The wine is first encased and it's hidden. The wine comes out from its hidden state, comes out to the open. And that's why the effects that it does to a person, we all know what alcohol does, is it helps us, it loosens a person's mouth. How many times do we dr drink a little bit and we say things and then we like feel st stupid that we said it. Like the next day we're embarrassed because basically it brought forth, it unearths, it, it brings out what is hidden. So in order to unearth the full potential of our spiritual selves, wine, so you can't say it's not like your obligation, but without, so that's why it's not like the essentials of the wheat and the barley, but it is so, it's such an enrichment. It is so powerful. So we have to integrate holy joy in our life. And that's the wine. That's the geffen in us. We have the capacity to do so. Practically speaking, how do you do so? You study the wine of Torah. One of the, one of the ways of doing that. The wine of Torah are the secrets of Torah. I call the wine of Torah. Because when you understand things superficially, then you generally operate on a superficial level. When you understand the secrets, the richness, the real depth, of every little nuance in Judaism, that's what generally, un, that's what makes you happy. That's what opens you up. So that's, but more important than everything else is the attitude. It's a positive attitude. Happiness doesn't come upon you. You have to decide that you're going to be happy. And if you decide, make a decision, I'm going to be in a positive mood, I'm going to be happy, then you will find yourself being happy. Things will, you'll find things that you can meditate on that will bring you to joy. But if this becomes the absolute state of mind every morning when i wake up i know i must put myself into a positive state of mind and i must be happy if it takes putting on the music in the morning and dancing do that as well whatever it takes put yourself into a positive frame of mind you'll be hugely successful in all of your service of god your fruit your grains your wheat and your barley will become so much more and enriched if you if you have your wine as well your spiritual wine which is simcha in your service of God. So that's, we covered now the third one of the Shiva Saminim. And now we move on to the Te'ina. Now Te'ina is really super cool. What's the Te'ina? The Te'ina is a fig. Now fig, what is what is the secret of a fig? Here's, you got a fig. Uh, oh, this is a little dried fig, okay? What is the story with the fig? So the story with the fig is as follows. The sages tell us, according to one opinion, that the fig is the the fig, by the way, I had a really good story and I want to say it just as an example. We have to, I missed it, but I'm going to add it in now because it's just too good. So we, we're told, you know, when we think that, oh, you got to change your animal soul, your animal, the animal is lowly, the animal is dark. But in the Hasidic literature, we learn all the time that the animal soul is really higher even than your godly soul. It just got lost. It too, at its very, very core, is is ultimately connected to God. And when you harness your animal soul to join with your neshama, your godly soul, to connect to God, your 
your the animal soul brings so much more energy and vitality into your avodas, into your connection to Hashem, because the animal has got such energy. But the idea is that it too wants to serve Hashem. So there's an interesting story which I read the other day, that there was a person, a Jew, he was looking for a job. He was he was and uh, searching and he didn't find. Finally, um, he was looking at the classified ads in, in the newspaper, and he saw that there's a local zoo that's looking for someone. So he comes, he makes an interview, and he comes there. And he was thinking, you know, what kind of work he's going to do in the zoo. So he figured that there would might be um, might be you know uh, maybe he's going to work the booth the, the, at the, when you come in you pay money, you know, they give tickets. Or maybe he'll do janitorial work, or maybe he'll feed the animals, you know, zookeeper. There's a lot of things, jobs in the zoo. Anyways, when it came up, this is what he wasn't expecting this. They told him that lately the attendance to the zoo went down quite a lot. And they think the reason is because they used to have a leopard in the zoo, and the leopard died. And they've ordered another leopard, but it's for somehow it's being shipped from Africa. It's taking a long time to come. So meanwhile, people are not coming because people want to see the leopard, and the leopard is out. So they're asking maybe if they're going to give him, they're looking for someone to play the leopard. So they're going to give him a costume and they'll go into the cage and you'll be the leopard. And you say, what can be bad? Okay. So he accepted it and he went into the, he came the day they gave him the costume, went in there and he's sitting over there. <laughs> and as he's there, it didn't take more than he closed the door and there's like another minute passes and suddenly he hears like a growl and he turns around. And but they didn't tell him is that he sees this four-legged creature coming closer to him. Then he tell him that this that there was another leopard in the they missed, they lost one. This was the the, the female leopard. He was the male leopard, and it's the female leopard. And the female leopard is approaching. So now he gets terrified. He doesn't know what to do. He's locked, he's there, and she, and she's getting closer and closer. And in utter fear and in and in dread, he yells because he knows his life is finished. He yells, what did you say? Hero Israel, Hashem And then he stops and he hears a shout. Hashem Echad. From the other, from the, from the, from the other. So this is the idea that we always say that the, you know, sometimes we're intimidated by the animal side in us and we think it's an intimidating creature, but it's important to remember that the animal inside of us is also crying out Hashem Echad. He just needs the male leopard to reveal the, 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 the Hashem that's in the female leopard as well. Our animal soul and our animal cravings at their very core are really a craving for God. It just takes work in order to bring it out. Now let's go take a look at the fig for a moment. So the fig, what's the, what's the story about the fig? The sages tell us that the fig is the tree of knowledge was a fig. How do we know that the tree of knowledge was a fig? Right after the... Um, Adam and Eve sinned by the tree of knowledge. They they covered themselves with with um, they covered themselves with leaves from the fig tree. So the sages say because they sinned with the with the fig, that's the reason why they had to rectify with the fig, and that's the the uh, the leaves of the fig tree. So what is the idea behind it? What, 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 is, what, is it, what does it mean? So what it means really is that through the power of the fig inside of us, we can rectify in a very deep level. We can do a tikkun. A tikkun, much more than just subjugating your animal soul, much more. It's a very deep rectification, which we use through the fig. What is the fig? So in the Tzemach Tzedek, in his book, Ora Torah, this is the third Chabad Rebbe, explains that the word te'ena, te is really a word 
which we find in Shoftim over here, which by Shimshim Hagibor. This is interesting. When Samson, the, the, the Samson, the the the, the, the was um, here he is. Um, told his parents that he wants the Philistine woman. He wants a Philistine girl. He, he saw a Philistine girl, you know, the famous, famous story. He got married to a Philistine girl, and then she was able to trick him and so forth, and she got him to cut his hair off, but then he married her. So he said, so his parents get upset at him. You don't can't find a Jewish girl, you're going to find a, a Philistine girl. So take her for me because I, I like her. And the father and mother didn't know he, that God was the one who wants him to marry this Philistine girl. Why? Because God was seeking a pretext from the from the Polish. In other words, we needed an excuse. We needed to smuggle Samson, Shimshon, Hagibar into the Philistine camp. So once he has a relationship with them over there, he'll be able to take care of business. And later we see he fought the Pelishtim, he took them down, he completely subjugated the Philistines. But that was because of his Dalila wife, who was a Philistine girl. This is the story. You see the word Te'ana, what it really means, it uses the word Te'ana. Te'ana means a pretext or a certain shrewdness and a cunningness. So when there is, it's only, it says it has to do with, it's similar to the concept called Arma. Arum, Arum and Arma. It means when you're not upfront with something, you have an intention, and the people that you're engaging are not really kind of with you, but you're like sneaking your way in. You're being, it's kind of a, a certain deception. It's cleverness in which one is seeking to get a certain outcome by using a certain shrewdness and a, now generally that's very unholy. That's why we say the tree of knowledge was a Te'ena tree. And it put into the human beings that cleverness and that shrewdness. And who instigated the whole thing was the snake. And what was the snake? He comes like innocently to speak to Chava and, oh, you know, to Eve about the tree and so on and so forth, but really he had an intention. He says, he doesn't, he's not even, he, his intention, he tried to get her to eat, but first he gauges her in a regular conversation. Even when he gets her to eat, it's not what he really wants. He wants Adam to eat, Adam will die, and then he will marry Eve. That was his, Rashi says. So the whole thing was a shrewdness, the whole thing was a clever. So it's really, really the source of wickedness. But yet there is a concept of arom and holiness. Holy cunningness. Ho holy shrewdness. Where do we find holy shrewdness in the Torah? We find Shlomo Melech, by the way, says that God gives to the foolish arma. So the Tzemach Tzedek says, that Shlomo Melech says in the, he brings from the Midrash, the Midrash says, Shlomo Melech says, I was a very simple, I was a very uh, um, naive person. And God has bestowed in me this cleverness, which shows that it's a very, very high wisdom. The Tzemach Tzedek explains it's actually the deepest level of wisdom, which could be employed as a cleverness and a shrewdness. Now, when is that necessary? It's necessary when you're dealing with the other side. When you have to go into the territory of that which is unholy, and you have to really, really deeply bring about a transformation or something like that, you can't go head on. Because, they, because the other side, the unholy, has its protectors up it has a shield you have to sneak your way in so where do we find this being employed in holiness i'm just going to give it because we're really, we're really coming to an end where do we fly so yaakov and Esau is the example example every time we deal with the snake and anybody who's a descendant of the snake you have to 
You have to come, you have to employ, employ the element of shrewdness. Yaakov takes the blessings away from Esau in a very not up and front way, right? He dresses himself in the clothing of David, he pretends to be him, and with the shrewdness, he manages to take the blessings of Esau. Another case we have, Esther and Haman. Esther pretends to be Haman's friend. Purim story. She invites him. She doesn't immediately stand up and say, I hate you. I'm going to fight you. She doesn't do that. She pretends she's on his side. She invites him to the to the, to the the meal and so on and so forth. And at the end, at the last second, she turns on him when he when he least expected it. He was already invited to the second time. And then she turned on him and kaput, she got him like that. That's because when you're dealing with the unholy, as it says in Tehillim, uh, with, the, with the crooked one, you should act in a crooked way. So spiritually, that means that we have a quality within ourselves to sometimes bring about a certain deception. Our godly soul has a capacity to sometimes trick our animal soul to get involved in something godly and holy, both within ourselves and in other people. I'll give a perfect example. If we want to get Thursday not Monday class over here really packed with people. So we can give and advertise and give beautiful titles and very interesting, intriguing ideas. Not necessarily, but you put out over there that there is sushi every week and there's sandwiches and big, big, and, and whatever, and a barbecue over here. This place will be packed. Thursday night, Chalentin, Kushken, Kugel, and all kinds of things. Packed. Now, what you really would like, to, the point over here is to get people to come up, and the people will come up. They're coming up to thinking that they're going to eat, you know, they're going to have sushi, whatever. But your intention is, once they're here already, they sit down by the class. So you trick, you wheel in the God, the God, the animal soul with the food, but your intention is to inspire them in a spiritual way. So if anybody wants to sponsor the sushi and all that every week, I'm open for it. But the concept over here is, the concept over here is the employing your shrewdness. That's our ability of our te'ena. And it has its, its, its place in our service of God. And that's another fruit that we have in our arsenal. Um, a higher level of, of, of the fig. The fig is that unique power that we have. Now we're going to move quickly on. What's the next fruit that we have over here is the pomegranate. Pomegranates are a very interesting fruit. Um, pomegranate is a fruit that is a very compartmentalized fruit. You have a lot of seeds in a pomegranate, but yet, as opposed to an apple, which you can take an apple, it's, it's always very sad if the pomegranate is like really smooth and a person doesn't realize, and you take the time and you bite it like you bite an apple, Ooh, it's no good. A pomegranate is not biteable like an apple, not like a plum, even an orange where you peel the peel, but then afterwards the inside is, or any other fruit, even when you have a, 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 a pit inside, like a peach, but you can still bite into it. There's a certain wholesome, there's a certain fruitiness to the entire fruit. Sometimes you have to peel from the outside, you have to peel from the inside. But the pomegranate, even when you crack it open and you cut it open, and you inside you see every bit of the fruit is isolated and wrapped in its own membrane. Therefore, the pomegranate represents the concept of appreciating and understanding the power and the significance of one action, one good deed. Because in our general life in this world, um, we, we, we're looking about self-development. I want to develop. I want to make, when we want to influence other people, I want to turn the person around. I want to bring in coke. I want to make him into a more spiritual person. Well, there are people that you can do that. People that you can be upfront with them. People that you have to use the fig, the fig way around them to kind of bring them in, fish them in. You need to do that. But there's still people that are, are you can, but there's other people that are not going to become, they're not going to join forces with you. They're not going to get involved in, 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 in whether it's Judaism. They're not going to. But you can get them to do one mitzvah, just one act of holiness, one individual, and that's the fruit. 
within ourselves also. There are certain days you might wake up and you see, I'm I'm just not into it. There's nothing, I'm not, I'm not feeling it today. I can't, I just, everything in me is screaming. I'm not interested, I'm not, in, I don't want, I feel very secular today. I feel very un in the mood. I don't feel like anything, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And then an opportunity, someone knocks at the door, an opportunity to give to duck. I say, no, today, no, today, my unholy side is in charge. No. Don't because and even if I do a mitzvah, what is if I did one thing? If I gave a little tzedakah, so what is? I just did that act. It's just going to be an isolated act that has nothing to do with me, nothing to do with my life. It's not. I don't identify it with it in any way. I'm just doing something. The power of the pomegranate is the appreciation of. If you can't get more than that, just get that one deed, and that deed is so powerful, amazingly powerful. Um, so the Rimon is the idea of like it says where a mayor he saw his his Rebbe uh, what was his name Acher it says Klipa, he Rimon Matzah he found the Rimon he broke open the peel and he ate the fruit it's the ability to be able to dismiss the outside and just look for that one act there's a lot more to say about the Rimon but we're running out of time it's really good stuff but we're gonna have to leave that for another time and now we're gonna conclude we're gonna conclude with the last two fruits. And the last two fruits are as follows. These, this is basics. The next two fruits come after amazing and an intense amount of labor. And what are they? The oil and the and the dates. What are the oil? So the oil is the zayas. The midrash tells us about olives. That olives only release their oil their, only when they're crushed. Talk about a grape. A grape gets a little squeeze. An olive goes through the ringer. An olive is taken off. The Midrash says, why do Jewish people compare to olives? There's a puzzle that this, the Midrash says, because the olive, even you take it off, first of all, you knock them off the tree. Once you knock them off the tree, they put them into the press. And in the press, you crush them. Not only that, they take strings and ropes. I don't know what they tie around. And then they, they, they literally beat this poor olive. They beat the wits out of it. And only then it gives us fruits. And the Midrash says, so the Jewish people, that the ultimate oil the ultimate precious liquid which god brings out of the jewish people sadly comes out after thousands of years of being pushed around and beaten and crushed but so what's the oil olive represents the deepest commitment to god the essence of the jewish soul that comes will only appear when there is extreme pressure and only appears when and what's that what's that what's the oil the oil is utter surrender to god like oil that completely gets gets um, um, consumed in a fire. It's our ability to completely become so nullified to Hashem, so beyond, so given over that we have no existence whatsoever, only God. I'll tell you what, I, I'm trying to capture these in, in practicality. I'll tell you just a quick story of a chassid. It was a chassid, his name was Reb, uh, Reb Avram, um, Avram Paris. He was a big very big Chabad Chassid of the sixth Chabad Rebbe and then of our Rebbe the Rebbe. So he was very poor. I'm not sure. I think this was when he, when he was in Israel. So he lived in Israel. The Rebbe at that time, the previous Chabad Rebbe was living in Riga. He one time, he had, he had, he had, uh, he went to work in an orchard. He came out to the orchard in Israel, somewhere in an orchard. And he saw on uh, next to a tree stump, he saw a bag full of gold, Go little coins. He picked it up. He felt something heavy. He looked. He asked around if anybody knew who it was. No one. It was a bag. He took the coins. Now, he was a poor man who couldn't hardly feed his family. He went straight to the bank, and he deposited the money in the Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe's account 
in Riga, somehow he managed to transfer the money, he made a wire transfer, I don't know what kind of abilities they had in those days, and he gave the whole money. It wasn't like he first sat down and said, you know what, I just found an amazing thing, I'm going to give 10%, I'm going to give 20% to him. No, it didn't even occur to him. To him, his entire existence had no meaning, his life was for the rebel. That was his first thought. If there's money, it, it didn't even occur to him that the money's for him. It wasn't. That was the money the previous Lubavitch Rebbe used for the our Rebbe's wedding. He didn't. The Rebbe didn't have money then. He used the wedding. I can imagine all the good that comes to the world when someone becomes like an olive. It means bitl, It's much deeper than just harnessing your animal soul. It's reaching a point of total nullification, total surrender, being totally identityless for God's sake. And now we come to the final fruit, which is the date. And what is the beauty of the date? The date takes it one step further. After we achieve total nullification to God, which is bitl tashem, there is something higher. And that is called complete unification with God. Unification with God means where everything inside the person is utterly and completely in a state of godliness. So where do you see that in a date? First of all, the date is sweet. It's the ultimate sweet, sweet, sweet fruit. Other things about the date is that the, the, the Zohar says there's a type of date that only gives its fruit once in 70 years. So it re represents the concept of difficult labor of 70 years. 70 years means a complete overhaul of every aspect of our emotions. Every part of our emotions become utterly godly. Our kindness becomes utterly attached to God. And that's why a tzaddik is compared to a day tree. Tzaddik katomar yifro. A tzaddik flourishes like a date. The word tamar is the numeric value of tough, uh, 640. Tamar, yeah, 640, which is 10 times, the Tzemach Tzedek says, 10 times 64. 64, he says, is 2 times 32. 32 is the 30, the lathe, the heart. And 32 is the mind, Lamed Beis Nesiva is Chachma, the 32 mind. When the heart and the mind, the animal soul and the godly soul become absolutely unified, when a person's entire heart and mind, their entire consciousness becomes so filled with God, so saturated with holiness, there isn't any part in them that's outside of holiness and godliness, a complete transformation. So the date represents the Shlemus of unification. And that's why also the Lulav, if you take a look at a Lulav, uh, we keep the lulav. We know the mid, the main thing in the lulav, which is from a palm tree, is the middle branch. And the middle branch of the lulav is has to be to umen. It has to be closed all the way to the top. Representing the lulav represents the highest level of complete attachment. Human and the divine become wholesomely and completely attached. We become one with Hashem. That's the ultimate level of development of fruit where we reach such unification. And that's why both the olive, which is total bitter, and the, the, the date, which is total unification, they only come out after two times eris, which means the purification and then another purification. Only with the difficult work and the labor can we fully develop and bring forth all of our fruits till we have a full, beautiful basket of Shiva Saminim and we can really, really, really shine with our greatest light and illuminate the world with all this godly light. May we Mashiach come. And we will all see the fruits of every single Jew and see the great production that we have produced and brought forth for the entire world to enjoy. May it be now.
Thanks. 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 Thanks.